So today I was getting ready for Jeremiah chapter, I think we're in 51, and I spent half the day studying that. Um, and right when I finished it, I just sensed the Lord say, you better not teach that tonight or you're going to be in big trouble. Um, I, I just sensed the Lord say, you know what, you got to kind of like uh, share with the congregation, you got to be a watchman. You know, the, the watchman is an individual who sees things happening, who sees things coming, and he warns the people. Now, we don't know the day or the hour, but it sure looks like things are happening. Uh, I'm reminded of that passage in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus said in verse 32, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Now, it's an interesting thing. Jesus is talking about his return, and, you know, he's uh, sharing with his disciples, you know, the sign of the fig tree, and says, hey, when you see the tenderness, and you see things begin to bud, you kind of know summer is near, and a lot of people believe, though, that this is not just, uh, like, you know, seeing the signs and then being ready, but uh, even identifying Israel as the fig tree. And when you see that fig tree planted again, when you see it tender, when you see it there healthy, kind of like Pastor Chuck used to say that in 1948, Israel became a nation again. When you see that happening, Jesus, and I don't know, we don't know, we can't be dogmatic, but it sure it seems like a possibility that when you see Israel back in the land again, that generation, that's the generation where I, I will come. You know, and so you look at 1948, it's been, some people wonder, well, what is a generation? You know, 40 years, it's been 75 years. And, and it seems to add up. Some might say a generation is 70, 75, 80 years. We don't know, 100, but it, it sure seems like when we're looking at things right now that we find that we, we got to be ready. You know, I was talking to my wife about this, and just in the practical sense, like if the Lord came right now, would I be uh, in, a, in a good place? You know, First John 2.28, it says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence before him, and not be ashamed at his coming. You know, the last thing in the world I want to do is be in sin when my Savior comes. I don't want to be, you know, in any intense fellowship with my wife, no holy headlock, no arguments. I don't want to, you know, be in any way because I just feel like since these things are happening, truly, and we should always have this heart, truly the Lord is coming. You know, I, I'm going to share some things with you and then we'll dive into a, a few scriptures that I think are important or relevant but let's just kind of talk a little bit about what's been going on. So it's now the fifth day since the Islamic terrorist group Hamas invaded Israel. Thousands of rockets, over 5,000, penetrating their airspace and close to 2,000 terrorists on the ground. Now these are not soldiers on the ground. These are terrorists. We're talking about individuals targeting innocent civilians. You know, there are these young people enjoying a concert 260 of them are now dead. People living in a, in, a, in a friendly kibbutz community, elderly, hundreds dead, murdered there in their home, babies beheaded, babies burned, women raped, paraded, and killed. And you might wonder, well, why am I telling you some of the graphic details? Well, it's because I think in order to properly assess if this is biblical prophecy unfolding in front of our eyes, we need to know the truth and we need to hear these things. We need to know what's going on. You know, Israel's death toll currently is right around 1,200 dead. 22 Americans have died with over 2,700 wounded. That's a lot of people in a population of 9 million. You know, that's a lot of people. Uh, if you were to compare it, for example, on 9-11, we had close to 3,000 die. That would be like 40,000 Americans dying in one day. And you begin to get the sense of how horrible this is. It's the worst slaughter of Jews since the Holocaust in one day. 
And, and so today we got word that Israel formed an emergency war cabinet, includes former leaders from her internal opposition. Perhaps Hamas, perhaps Israel's enemies thought they can catch them at a vulnerable point when they're divided. The enemy thought that. But Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said something interesting. He said, we have put aside all differences, listen, because the fate of our state is on the line. Think about that. Now, some might say, oh, he's exaggerating. Oh, no, he's not. Israel is surrounded by enemies. And this is not just a physical thing. This is a spiritual battle, and he's well aware of that. You know, we have put aside all differences because the fate of our state is on the line. And so I'll be the first one to say that I pray this goes away, that there will be no more death on either side, that God would give Israel swift and easy victory and that it would be over. I'll be the first to say I pray that. Psalm 122.6 is probably a really good verse to memorize, real simple. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. But listen, when you look at these words from Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he, he said, we put our differences aside because the fate of our state is on the line. To me, I read that and I think, okay, this man is, is wise. He knows the potential of how this can escalate. You know, we don't know, but I was, in, I was, I was fascinated by the words of a man, Eric Metaxas. He's a Christian. He's, a, he's a, a, an intelligent individual, graduate from Yale a University. And he said this, he says, he wonders how this cannot lead to World War III. Interesting. You know, here's a guy, you know, a very intelligent man, but just trying to assess all the situation and wondering how he said to him, you know, this could really escalate. Now, again, those are comments from um, an individual who's very intelligent. They're not from the peanut gallery Um, it it, it does seem to be a very drastic dilemma in front of us. You know, when you think about what was going on in these guys' minds, Hamas, they must have known the atrocities that they're committing would lead to their own death. And and it kind of makes you wonder, is, is this all part of the plan? Is it all part of the plan to force Israel to act in such a way that you know, that they might muster up the sympathy and lure the Arab world and lure the Muslim world into it and lure the anti-Zionist world into it and lure the anti-American world into it. It it sure seems that way. You know, Israel's surrounded on all sides. And so, you know, they have this religion, they have this ideology, they have this theology that we need to talk about. You know, I want to show you guys a map we have a map here of the Gaza Strip, and uh, I think we have one here. Yeah, so on the left side you here, you have kind of like a blown-up version of this small strip of land that's on the west coast of Israel. Um, not, not too big. Um, there it is. You can see the, the little insert there. Just that portion of southern Israel, western Israel, adjacent to Egypt. And so that's where, you know, the Gaza Strip is, just in case you didn't know exactly where it is. There you have close to 2 million Palestinians living there. In all reality, Israel won this land in the 1967 war, but they gave it to the Palestinians, and they even allowed them to govern themselves. They they did that out of the kindness of their heart. They allowed 40,000 Palestinians to come in every day and work in Israel. They were willing to live peacefully side by side. But what we find going on is just a horrible thing. You know, the Gaza Strip there on the west, only 25 miles long. You know, as far as the width, uh, sometimes it's three and a half miles wide. It expands to seven and a half miles wide. It's considered the third most densely populated place in the world. Again, two million people living there. After the Six-Day War, this was an area that belonged to Israel, but they've allowed the Palestinians to have their territory, territory, elect their own government. And in 2007, they elected Hamas to be their leaders. Hamas is a fundamentalist, Islamic militant group supported by Iran. And so this is a scene. You know, you're in Israel. You've got this strip of land on the west side, the Hamas, 
They're the ones that have invaded Israel, 22 towns, you know, 1,200 dead. I mean, we're talking about coming in to Israel in in various ways, you know, land and sea, and uh, even some say in tunnels that have been dug. And, And so this is a scenario. You know, all that when you see on the west side, but then I want to show you guys this map. Notice right here, you have on the north side, if we go back to that map, you have Egypt on the south of Israel. Now, right now, Egypt is saying that they're going to support Israel. But in all reality, I was reading reports that they're torn. They're torn at this moment. You have um, Lebanon on the north side. And so whenever you read about the Hezbollahs, now the Hezbollahs are another Islamic military group supported by Iran and Syria. Same theology, same ideology, which we'll look at later. Their desire, their theology, their religious objective is to rid the world of the Jews. So that's where they're at. They, they are much stronger than Hamas. Okay, so you've got Hamas on the, on the west side there in the Gaza Strip. And you've got Hezbollah, they're up on the north. They have uh, 15,000 rockets directed towards Israel targets today. And so, you know, you've got um, Egypt, they're torn. You've got, on the west side, you've got the Gaza Strip. On the north side, you've got Lebanon. You also have Syria. Now, Syria, again, Muslim-controlled. They're firing mortars. Lebanon, there's scuffles there. If you look into the footage today, you'll see tons of Lebanese people that are leaving southern Lebanon because they're anticipating a war to happen. You know, you've got the West Bank right here. Now, again, the West Bank is uh, Jewish-populated, Palestinian-populated. There's scuffles going on. There's 27 Palestinians that are dead. In other words, there are things going on, Israeli soldiers wounded. And then you've got the Jordan, this nation on the, on the right, uh, on the east side of Israel. So notice how they're surrounded, south. Uh, we're talking uh, the west, Gaza, the east, Jordan, north, Lebanon, and Syria. And so all this, knowing the geography, it kind of helps you understand what's going on. You know, again, experts say that Hamas has 150,000 rockets pointed at Israel. Um, or maybe, yeah, I don't know if it's 150,000. That might be a lot. But um, maybe 15,000. I'll have to double check on that. But during this time, there has been exchange of rockets from both sides at the northern border. On Monday, October 9th, Israeli helicopters launched dozens of airstrikes following a clash with the Palestinian Islamic Jihad fighters who crossed the border into Israel. Israel media said that over two hours of airstrikes were targeting Hezbollah positions in southern Lebanon, killing at least one member of the pro-Iran militia. Residents of towns along the southern Lebanese border have fled their homes in case of war. And then, of course, you have the West Bank there where there's uh, uprising beginning. And a statement from the Palestinian militant group said that four of its militants were killed in the clashes while seven Israeli troops were wounded. And so, you know, you look at that. Um, Gaza on the west, Egypt on the south, still not 100% sure where they stand. Lebanon on the north with Hezbollah, I believe it is 150,000 rockets directed towards Israel. You've got Syria um, sending mortars there. You've got Jordan on the right. Now, haven't heard anything from Jordan yet, but it's interesting because the former Hamas leader, he called for jihad across the Arab world this Friday the 13th. Now, here's something that, I don't know, I'm not like this. You guys know I'm not sensationalistic, but it would be my bad if I said nothing. It would be my bad if I didn't warn you, okay? So hopefully nothing happens. Hopefully, you know, it's all cool on on Friday the 13th, and all you do is go see a scary movie or something. That's what you guys do. I don't know for sure, you know? But, you know, Hezbollah, they have cells everywhere. They have cells everywhere, not just in Lebanon. This is a well-funded organization with a strategy beyond our comprehension, okay? So just be careful. 
Just be careful uh, what you're doing this Friday. We're not afraid because we know God is on our side. We know that nothing can happen to us unless God touches us, unless God allows us, nothing can touch us unless God allows it. But what we need to know is that, you know, hey, you've heard this. This guy said, um, let me read it to you. Khaled Michel, head of Hamas Diaspora Affairs, he once made the call to arms from the nation of Qatar. And so he said this, the former leader of Hamas has issued calls for Muslims across the world to take to the streets in a global day of rage and protest on Friday. Khaled Michel, who was a leader of Hamas for three years from 2014 to 2017, is now based in Qatar. He issued a statement to Reuters earlier today saying that this was a moment of truth for the Arab world. He said, we must heed to the squares and streets of the Arab and Islamic world on Friday. To all scholars who teach jihad, to all who teach and learn, this is a moment for the application of jihad. And and believe you me, the, the former leader of Hamas is not just talking about a peaceful internal struggle when he speaks of jihad. He's talking about what the Quran literally teaches so again, uh, the, the word is out to all the Arab world, to all the Muslim world. You guys know what the jihad teaches. The jihad says, hey, it's okay to be violent for your religious cause, to bring the infidels to their knees. And so, um, you know, what the thing that's interesting, if you continue to read the, the, his statement, this guy went on to talk about how he called Jordan the leader Khaled Mashad, he made a special plea to Muslims living in countries surrounding Israel. And listen to what he said. He said, tribes of Jordan, sons of Jordan, brothers and sisters of Jordan, this is a moment of truth and the borders are close to you. You all know your responsibility. And so he's specifically calling out Jordan. And so if you look back at the map one more time, just in case you didn't catch it, this is the, the big nation that is here on the east side of Israel. He's calling them. He's saying, you guys know, you guys know what jihad is. You know what your responsibility is. And so the potential threat for all around Israel, west, north, you know, south, east, I mean, what we see going on, how they're surrounded you know, what we find is this is not something that we are to take lightly. You know, what we find in looking at this, uh, uh, the, 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 the jihad, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the Quran, which is the Islamic uh, sacred book, it literally teaches that they can use violence uh, to further their cause. In Surah 61, 4, it says, Truly Allah loves those who fight in his cause in battle array, as if they were a solid cemented structure. So that's their holy writing. There are other verses. Muhammad himself taught in the Hadith that holy war was an acceptable and good thing to do, that if a Muslim were to die in battle fighting for the cause of Allah, that he would be guaranteed to go to the highest heaven. And so this is why you see these guys, these terrorist guys, maybe strapping bombs to their bodies and going in and detonating a bus, sacrificing their own life, killing innocent lives because they have this theology, they have this ideology, this concept that if they were to die in such a way that they would go to the seventh heaven. So I need to say this just to make sure that you guys know and that we're not weird. Many Muslims don't believe that. You know, the majority of Muslims are peaceful Muslims. But there is a large percentage who take their Quran literally. And so with one billion Muslims on planet Earth, you have at least 100,000 Muslims who hold to this. You know, it's interesting. Recently, there was a survey done in Great Britain, which uh, unfortunately, they're very Islamic now. And so they did a, a survey regarding whether or not they believe in violence to further their cause. And, uh, and what we find is that 11% of British Muslims find violence for religious or political ends acceptable. 
And so all that to say, we need to know what kind of world we live in. We need to be aware of this. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is not like our president. You know, he's aware of this. He, he doesn't give $6 billion to someone who is our enemy in the Middle East. Israel is our ally. Iran is not. Yeah, it would be nice to be friends with them. It would be nice. But Biden, you need to know this. And, you know, Obama, you need to know this. They, 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 they don't, they're not interested in peace. When you look at what happened when these terrorists did the things they did, like I said, burning babies, beheading babies, raping women, killing the elderly, taking them captive, torturing them. When you look at this and then you see the parliament, the parliament of Iran celebrating, gathering together in the front, their government chanting death to Israel, then you begin to understand, well, this is... This is more serious than we might think, and we have no business giving them $6 billion for anything. This is our friend. Israel is our ally, and these guys are interested in simply wiping them off the map. And so what do you do? You know, someone comes into your house, and they take your daughter, and they go and they rape her, and you can see her with her sweats on and the blood that just gushed forth because she had never been with a man. What do you do? The United Nations wants to say, hey, let's shake hands, cease fire. You know, you're good, we're good. You know, um, you've got even, you know, our, you know, unfortunately, Secretary of State who was interested in that in his discussions with Turkey. Oh, let's just do a ceasefire. No, when there's a murderer loose, you have to cut off his head. Otherwise, that murderer or that rapist or that terrorist will come again. We have to protect our people. And this is why, you guys, we find ourselves in this amazing dilemma that we are in today. You know, United Nations calling uh, for a ceasefire. Turkish president Wednesday calling uh, for a ceasefire. The the sympathy, what's going to happen is Israel's got to do what they got to do. They're going to do it. They're going to go in there. They have 300,000 soldiers. They've got tanks. They're ready to strike, right? They're going to do that. And there will be many, many, many deaths on both sides. You know, when you see what's going on, you know, then what's already, there's going to be the mustering of sympathy from the rest of the world, right? I mean, hey, already they have, unfortunately, mustered up the sympathy. But when things begin to go down, it's going to get even worse, You know, in Gaza, 1,100 have been killed, over 5,000 wounded, 535 buildings already destroyed, 250,000 people are homeless in Gaza. But what do you do? You know, we can't just shake hands. I think Israel has said enough. We've tried. You have no other option but to go in there and cut off their heads. You know, one of the interesting things about uh, this land of Gaza is they have tunnels underground that you can't get to with the airstrikes. The tunnels, the grounds of Gaza are intricate. Washington Post reported that Hamas has built more than 1,300 tunnels with a close to 300 miles long. They are built at a cost of 1.25 billion while their people are starving. These tunnels are three and a half feet wide, at least seven feet tall. So you can smuggle people. You can smuggle soldiers, weapons, and other contrabands easily through. And so the only way to eliminate this threat is through a ground invasion. And of course we know. I mean, there's, it's almost like as if this was what it was designed for. This is, will muster up the sympathy of the world. This will muster up the sympathy of Egypt, the sympathy of Jordan, the sympathy of Turkey, the sympathy of Libya, the sympathy maybe even of Russia, which is one of the players we're going to see in this whole thing. Uh, uh, someone sent me a, a quote, an interesting quote by a, a, a gal named Golda Meir, Golda Meir, Um, Some of you might know her. She was an Israeli politician who served as the fourth prime minister of Israel from 69 to 74. She was Israeli's first and only female head of government 
And she said something that really captured my attention. I think we have that quote right here. I think we do, if not, no, okay. So this is what it says. She says, we can forgive the Arabs for killing our children. We cannot forgive them for forcing us to kill their children. We will only have peace with the Arabs when they love their children more than they hate us. Do you understand what she's saying? She's saying, you know, you guys killed us and, you know, we can come to an agreement. Hopefully someday soon we'll forgive you for what you did. But don't you understand what you're doing to us? You're forcing us to go in there and kill your children. Do you see what you're doing? If only you would love your children more than you hate us. The only reason there's not a Palestinian state today is because they refuse to ever accept the nation of Israel. All they had to do, that's all they had to do. You know, and, and Israel gave them the land, they gave them the territory, but the, the Arab world, the Muslim world refuses to accept Israel as a nation, refuses to accept Jerusalem as their capital. And so this is why we see we're in the situation that we're in. You know, I don't know how you feel. And, and that, you know, when on my way over here, I, I was talking to the Lord and I, and, and I definitely want to communicate to you, you know, the, the simple truth of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And so God loves everyone. God loves the whole wide world. God loves the Palestinians. I remember when we were in Israel and, and Joey and I, we ran into a, a Palestinian gal. She was very nice. I think Joey liked her. Um, I don't know. I think he, maybe he wanted to marry her. But anyways, so he wouldn't do that. She has to be a Christian. I'm just joking. He got married to Lupi. But anyways, <laughs> you know, we, we love them. We love them. But do you understand that when you read the Bible, there's a special place in our heart for Israel? I think I wrote down here, let me see if I could find it, 2,579 times in the Bible, Israel is mentioned. You know, when you count when God called them Jacob, you know, we're, we're talking close to 3,000 times. You know, these are our, our allies. These are our brothers. In, in this is the only reason I believe God has blessed us is because we've had a, an alliance with Israel. We need to know this as a church. We need to know this because you're already seeing people like Bernie Sanders. Where's that guy coming from? You know, leading protests in support of Hamas. You're going to support terrorists? Israel doesn't do that. Israel has never done that. As a matter of fact, you know what they're doing in their hospitals today in Israel? They are tending to the terrorists who were wounded. They're taking care of them. They're helping them in their medical situations. That's what Israel does. But they don't do that on the other side. And so people need to understand this. You know, I, I'm not a TikTok guy. I don't have a TikTok account. How many of you guys have a TikTok account? I'm just curious. No, some of you do. Cool. Anyways, this gal, Noah Tishby, she said this. She said, if you are a woman, if you are a man, or if you're a human being and you're not outraged by this, that is a serious problem. There is no excusing this. There is no equivocating this. Hamas is a genocidal, radical, misogynistic, terrorist organization that is committing, in addition to genocide, rape terrorism. And one goal, and one goal only, and that is the extermination of the Jewish people. And so you see, it's clearly a spiritual battle. And so you know, we wonder, and I wonder, okay, Lord, well, what does this, this mean? And so let's look at a few scriptures. I want to start over in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, and if you go over to verse 16... We read of the renewal of Israel. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, 
When the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of his land. But I had a concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations, wherever they went. And so you look at the history of Israel, and it's a, it's a really fascinating history. You see um, God would chasten them. Sometimes they would be scattered, you know, taken away to Assyria, taken away to Babylon. In 70 AD, 1.2 million Jews died, and they were scattered all over the world. You know, uh, we find that under the, the general uh, Roman uh, general Titus. And so, you know, when they were scattered all over the world, it was like the world was saying, well, their God, you know, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's nothing because look at, they're not even in the land. They're not even in the land. Here they are. God said, I promise you this land, you know, from the Euphrates all the way uh, to the Mediterranean. This is your land. But now here they are. They don't got no land. And, and in one sense, what that was doing was that was profaning the, the name of the living God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so as they're scattered all over the world, God said, that's not good for my name. And so what he does, look what he read next in verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hollowed to you in you before their eyes. Here it is. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all the countries, and bring you into your own land. See, that's what God has done. He's brought them into his own land. Now, during the tribulation period, halfway through, they will then enter into this personal covenant relationship with God through their Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what we read next in verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And so when you read this right here, God says, you guys were spread out and it profaned my name because I had made you a promise that you were going to be in the land. So God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring you back. And when I bring you back into the land, then my name will be exalted. Like, wow. And I still trip out on that. I'm like, wow. You know, Israel was regathered from all over the world and they became a nation again. It's interesting, Isaiah 66, verse eight, it says, who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall the earth be made to give birth to a nation in one day? And in one day, sure enough, May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. If you read Ezekiel 37, let's go there, kind of the same thing. Here he gives an illustration, Ezekiel 37, verse 1. The hand of the Lord came upon me, this is Ezekiel, and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? So I answered, O Lord God, you know, and he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord to these dry bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. It will, I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you, cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live. 
Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and suddenly a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. Indeed, as I looked, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them over, but there was no breath in them. Also he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. You know, Ezekiel 37 is an amazing prophecy about the regathering of Israel into the land and the life God brings, breathes into otherwise dead, dry bones. Imagine not having your land for close to 2,000 years. Imagine that. 70 AD, they're dispersed, the diaspora, all over the world. Would anyone be able to maintain their identity after all those years? Would they have that hope? Here we see, even Ezekiel identifies the fact that they would say, it's beyond hope. But God would show himself strong and God would show himself to the nations of the world when we would see Israel regathered, just as we saw and May 14th, 1948. And so when you look at this, uh, it's an interesting thing, you know, the, the life that they have as a nation, and then what we see going on in our, our world. Oh man, I don't have the graphic. Um, I gotta get you guys this graphic. I'll try to get it after service. We're gonna put it on the screen for you. Um, I, I was looking at the, the screen, and in 1915, there were five, there was a total of 5,000 Jews in Israel. Imagine that, 5,000 Jews. Do we have that one? Oh, yes, we do. And so actually, 1517, 5,000 Jews in Israel. And so that's not a lot, right? And so you look throughout the years, and they begin to grow and grow. In 1948, when they became a nation again, you have 716,700 Jews in the core population now. And so God is bringing them from all over the world. But today in 2023, we have 7.145 million Jews in Israel. There's a population of close to 9 million, a little, little more. And so, you know, it, the, the numbers are there. God said, in the last days, these dry bones will live. God said, I will show the nations who I am. I will show Israel who I am in bringing them back to the land. And so you look at Israel, you read Ezekiel 36 and 37 and how they would prophesy, I mean, how they would um, prosper as a fruitful land. And to me, that just blows me away. But then you get to Ezekiel chapter 38. And so let's go to Ezekiel 38. And so, let me just ask you a question. What comes after Ezekiel 37? Ezekiel 38, right? You guys know that, huh? You guys have been like theologians. <laughs> and so this is what's next. Ezekiel 38, it says in verse one, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. Now, we can't be dogmatic about this, but I can show you guys how this basically, I'm thoroughly convinced, is in reference to Russia. And so he says right here, um, the prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against him. 
and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, which you guys know is modern-day Iran, that happened in the 1930s, they changed their name. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. He says, prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. And you're going to see that throughout these prophecies, Ezekiel 36, 37, 38, and 39, the latter years, which we would identify as the last days, the last years, the latter years, you will come into the land of those who were brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend like a coming like a storm covering the land like a cloud and you and all your troops and many people with you. Thus says the Lord God, On that day it shall come to pass that thoughts will arise in your mind and you will make an evil plan. You will say, I will go up against a land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell in safety, all of them dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates to take plunder and to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods, who dwell in the midst of the land. Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away livestock and goods, to take great plunder? Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say to God, Thus says the Lord God, On that day when my people Israel dwell safely, will you not know it? Then you will come from your place out of the far north, you and many peoples with you, all of them riding on horses, a great company and a mighty army. You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hollowed in you, O God, before their eyes. Thus says the Lord, God, are you he of whom I have spoken in former days by my servants, the prophets of Israel, who prophesied for years in those days that I would bring you against them? And then in 18 through 23, uh, if you guys read that, what you'll find is that God prophesies that he would defeat this invading army. And so when you look at a map, we have one more map to show you. Um, you guys can see like the pretty much the Middle East today. And uh, here you have Israel. And you go up, up, you see Turkey. And then you keep going up. And there you see Russia. And, 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 and so here's the thing. And, and we'll, we're going we're gonna to kind of close it down. We're going to wind it down now. What's going on in Israel, the, the, the imminent invasion of the Gaza Strip, you know, the way that the chess pieces are lined up with Russia and Iran now as allies like never before in the last 2,500 years. They've never been uh, um, allies, but now they are. And so you begin to see things happening. You begin to see it all lining up. And it's interesting when you look at these nations right here, you have Russia, you have Turkey, you have Iran, you have southern Egypt, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, north central Turkey, eastern Turkey. These are all nations that are, are, are Muslim nations. And so it, I would be wrong in just not warning you guys. Listen, you guys, we got to make sure that we are aware, that we are ready, that we are walking in the, in the light of the Lord's imminent return. You know, it's interesting what we read here in verse 13. It says, Sheba, Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, and all their young lions will say to you, 
Have you come to take plunder? Now, a lot of people will look at this list and they'll wonder, well, where is the United States in all this? Some do believe that their young lions, the young lions there, are in reference to Great Britain and the United States of America. And what do we do? According to this prophecy, we just kind of talk. You know, we, hey, what are you guys doing? You know, you shouldn't be doing that. And I think that if we look at our administration today, I hope, you know, in sending this, uh, you know, this backup, I hope that, you know, the United States of America truly will act if we need to. I hope it's not just talk. But when you're looking at all these things, what we find is that, man, these are signs of the times and we need to uh, really make sure that, that we're ready. And so let's close uh, over in the Gospel of Luke. I know it sounds kind of crazy, you know, but when you see all these Jewish men uh, flying back to Israel to fight, you know, to fight for their nation, you know, not just men, uh, women as well, you know, flying from all over the world to go back and fight for their nation. I was thinking, man, I would like to fight, you know, but I'm old. Um, But in one sense, this is how we fight. And this is kind of how we fight. We're going to pray tonight and we're going to tell the world because unfortunately there are churches today who don't support Israel. There are young people today who don't support Israel. There are Christians, unfortunately, that don't support Israel. And we got to make sure that we get this word out. No, we we love Israel. We support Israel. Uh, We love everyone, but man, these are our our homies, you know. (laughs) And so um, in Luke chapter 21 you know, it speaks of uh, uh, racial tension happening in the last days. It speaks of wars and rumors of wars. It speaks of famines. It speaks of earthquakes. I don't know if you guys knew that earthquake in Afghanistan, October 8th, 2,445 dead. Um, You know, when you look at this, something that's interesting, look at Luke chapter 21, In verse 9, he says, But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then, he said, nation will rise against nation. Now that Greek word is the word ethnos, where we get our word ethnicity from. So he's talking about racism, race against race, kingdom against kingdom. That's the wars. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences. And there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And as I shared with you earlier, the fig tree itself, the artificial intelligence, the cashless society, the perversity that we see going on today I tell you what, man, if you're not ready, uh, you're in big trouble. Uh, there's a, a passage over in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5 that says, we don't know the day or the hour, but we know the seasons, and we will not be caught by surprise. And so Genesis 12, 3, it says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And ye shall be a blessing. And this is what he says. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse him who curses you. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this is why we pray for Israel. This is why we support them. This is why we bless them. This is why we have to fight for them. This is why, you know, again, you know, you might come to a Bible study tonight. And it's not just about, well, um, you know, Bible prophecy and like the Lord might be coming. Yeah, that's part of it. That's part of it. You know, we need to be ready. But just another part of it is, Lord, um, please intervene. Please have mercy. God, please bring, like we read earlier, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And I've seen it, you guys. I've seen it. God blesses those who bless Israel. And so one last verse, you guys are here in Luke 21, right? Notice what it says in verse 28. 
Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your head because your redemption draws nigh. You guys looking up? Yeah, I hope so, man. I really want to make sure that I'm ready for the Lord's return. Um, I'm just examining my life. Lord, is there any area that doesn't belong? I'm, I'm looking up at his grace. I'm looking up at the fact that, you know, the beautiful thing about the Lord is that, you know, his blood is so strong to wash away all of my sins that, you know, you look at the Jews and they're so far gone and you would figure that God would have given up on them after all this time, but he didn't. You know, they're his call, they're his people. He brought them back to the land and he breathed life into them and he, you know, he made them strong again. That's the God that we serve. That's his heart. That's the way he is. And so I want to make sure that the message is clear that our God is a God of love and forgiveness. Our God is the God of the second chance. You know, and so, you know, if you're here and, and maybe you're not, you're not ready, you know, for the Lord, you get, today's the day, you know, you get ready. One of the beautiful things and probably one of my favorite scriptures is over in the Gospel of Luke chapter 4 when Jesus got up in, in the synagogue and he said, hey, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Now the poor are, are you and me because we don't got any money. No, I'm just joking. That's not really what the poor is. The poor is those of us who are sinners. Any of you guys sinners? We are sinners. Our, our righteousness account is bankrupt. There's nothing there. I have nothing as far as that goes to really offer to the Lord. But the, Jesus said, I've been anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to those of you who are sinners, to those of you who have no righteousness to, br- to bring to the table. That's why I came to make you clean, to make you forgiven, to make you rich. I've come, he says, to, to heal the brokenhearted. I've come to set the, the captives uh, free, the, the prisoner, he, he gets liberty. That's why I've come. And, and you know what he says as he continues on there in Luke chapter 4? It's a quotation from Isaiah 61. And to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. You guys, we are living in the acceptable year of the Lord. And that means, yeah, I would ask you to accept Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. But I want you to know that he accepts you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad the sin, that's how we're ready. You know, yes, we accept the Lord because we have to make that decision ourselves, but understand He accepts you. This is the, we are living in that time. We are living in the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, and when you read Isaiah, He stopped right there at a comma because if He would have continued reading, it would have said, and the day of vengeance of our God. We're not there yet. We're not there yet, but we're almost there. We're almost there. And that's why, you know, my encouragement to you is to come to to God, the one who is the lamb. Look up tonight, you know, and you're like, well, how do you look up? Just by faith, you know, look up. Say, Jesus, I... I need you. It looks like you might be coming soon. There's a lot of crazy things going on. And Lord, I'm going to make a decision today to follow you. And as we look up with our heart and eyes of faith, it's just so beautiful how God gives us that new beginning.